And good morning. Welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Spotify and some of the other platforms we broadcast on. And my name is Warren Landis. I'm your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And I say this morning because uh, most of the time I uh, record these broadcasts during the morning hours. That's usually where I feel the best and my voice is the strongest and my mind is the most alert. So I do these recordings, generally speaking, each morning, usually between 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. or thereabouts. But uh, And, of course, we do these recordings from Greenville, South Carolina, and more specifically from my apartment in Greenville, South Carolina. It, you know, if you were looking for a huge uh, Sunshine USA headquarters building, uh, there ain't one. <laughs> I operate entirely out of my own apartment. I am the only one on staff, and I don't get a salary. (laughs) We try to keep things very simple and very basic around here so that any money that does come in is used entirely for expanding the ministry and getting out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, many of you know, uh, this uh, month I have been encouraging our listeners, to send me a Christmas card. (laughs) Yeah, I think it would be so neat to get a Christmas card from all of our listeners so that I could see who you are and where you're from and what country you're from and all that. That would be so exciting. And and preferably, maybe you could enclose a, a picture of yourself so that I could see what you look like. And if you do, I'll send you a picture of me <laughs> so you could see what I look like. Amen? I think that would be a lot of fun. And uh, so I hope that if you haven't done so yet, you will mail me a Christmas card, even though I admit uh, time is running a little bit short for that. But I hope that you'll be able to do it nonetheless. Um, The best way to request uh, that you send me a Christmas card is to contact my snail mail. My snail mail address is Warren Landis. 80 Thrusted Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. That's 80 Thruston Street. That's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N. 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, zip code 29605. And uh, for those of you that want to ask a Bible study question or you want to send in a prayer request or a praise report, The best way to do that is by email, and I have two email addresses. Uh, One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. Very simple, all lowercase. And the other one is also all lowercase. It's warrenlandis at gmail.com. And either way, I would love to hear from you. Uh, It means a lot for me to hear from my listeners. Uh, You'll be amazed how much that encourages me to keep doing what I'm doing for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, today we're going to continue in our study of 1 Corinthians. More specifically, today we're going to be in chapter 3, starting with verse 1. And basically, we're picking up today where we left off yesterday. Now keep in mind that Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth had become a very divided church. Uh, There was a lot of things going on in the church of Corinth that shouldn't have been going on. And now Paul is beginning to address some of those very big issues. And starting with chapter 3 and verse 1, we read, And I, brethren, now notice he says here, And I, brethren, So Paul is obviously talking to Christians making up the church at Corinth. He's not talking to unbelievers, he's talking to believers. And that's very important to consider when you hear the advice that he has to give here. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. Now, I think we touched on this yesterday. But those who are spiritual are those who are ready for the deeper things of God. 
They're ready to eat spiritual meat and not just spiritual baby food or milk. Those who are spiritual. Those who are spiritual, like I say, have a hunger and a desire and an appetite for the deeper things of God. Now, obviously, I love teaching the Bible to those who are spiritual, to those who are ready for the deeper things of God. But Paul indicates that when he was with them, he could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as of babes in Christ. He says in verse 2, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. For ye are yet carnal, whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal, carnal and walk as men? Now here in these first three verses, Paul emphasizes that he's having to address these people even now as spiritual babes. Now, to me, there's nothing sadder than to see someone who has been saved, been a church member for, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and they know shockingly little about the Word of God. Now, that, by the way, was one of the big principles behind my starting the Sunshine USA ministry back in 2012. I was simply shocked and appalled at the number of people who had surprisingly little knowledge of the Word of God, even though they had been saved for many decades. Now hopefully, since 2012, when Sunshine USA first went on the air, I have been able to help a lot of Christians grow and expand their knowledge of the Bible. I would like to think there's not as many spiritually ignorant Christians in America today or the world today as there were back in 2012. But I do know that there's still an awful lot of spiritual babes in Christ out there. They have not yet matured to the point where they're ready for spiritual meat and the deeper things of God. And that is truly very, very sad. Now Paul also gets here to the very reason that they are babes in Christ, and that is the fact that they are so divided. They are so divided. He says in verse 4, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am Apollos. Are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. Verse 6, I have planted, Apollo watered, but God gave the increase. So neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. That's in verse 8. Now you see, back in Paul's day, Paul was dealing with believers at the church of Corinth. Some were very loyal to Apollos. Now I am told that as far as public speaking was concerned, Apollos was a very great public speaker. I mean, he could literally hold an audience spellbound. I mean, he could get up and he could preach for an hour, and I tell you what, folks, that audience would be thoroughly and completely entertained. But in terms of substance, there was very little there. You see, Apollos was big on fluff, and he was very small when it came to substance. He was a lot like I was in the early days of my ministry. I remember in high school and again in college, I took uh, public speaking courses and I excelled in it. 
I basically had an A average. It's the only time in high school that I ever earned an A, and it was in public speaking. I knew how to be one of the best public speakers in the high school, one of the best public speakers in college. I mean, I could get up in the pulpit and I could just thoroughly entertain you. I could hold you spellbound. But even now, when I listen to some of my early sermons, and I have to say not too many of them survived, and maybe that's a good thing. I mean, back in those days, I couldn't afford to record very many of my sermons, but what few sermons I was able to record, I look back on them now, and I say, man, I didn't say very much at all. You see, like Apollos was then, I was about... 90% fluff and about 10% substance. I mean, I hate to say it, but that was true. 80% substance. I mean, 80% fluff, 90% fluff, or maybe 10% uh, substance. But obviously, I have grown spiritually since those days. In fact, some people that heard me preach back then and people that have heard me now more recently, they would say, Warren, we have noticed that you're not as entertaining as you used to be. You're not even as funny as you used to be. But you know what? There's more spiritual meat in what you have to say. And I I like hearing that. But in Paul's day, we had some that were very loyal to Apollos. Others were loyal to Paul. But that was because it was a very divided church. A very divided church. Uh, I know in some cases, one of the most critical times for a church can be when they change senior pastors. When one senior pastor leaves and another senior pastor comes in, it's a very challenging time. Because sometimes you have a new senior pastor that wants to do things a lot differently than the previous pastor did. And the people start rebelling. They want things to be done the way the previous pastor did it. You see, folks, that is what you call being a spiritual babe in Christ. A spiritual babe in Christ. Verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry and you are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another man buildeth thereupon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Now Paul indicates here that in his ministry... He has laid the foundation. Paul is recognizing that he did not come along to build the entire building. His job is to simply lay the foundation. Now I am told that in modern day construction, and I've learned a lot about construction because I've watched uh, programs on TV like uh, HGTV. That's probably one of my favorite cable networks right there, HGTV. I love watching things being built. And when it comes to watching HGTV, I just think it's totally interesting how somebody will spend $100,000 to $500,000 on a home, and then they take a sledgehammer and they smash up the inside of that home, and then they start remodeling it. When I thought the home looked perfectly fine the way it was when they bought it. (laughs) But between that and the fact that I have a lot of construction work going on in the neighborhood around me, I've learned a lot in the last two or three years about construction. And we have some companies today that specialize, for example, in site preparation. They don't build any of the building. They don't even lay the foundation. Their job is clearing the site 
and getting the land ready to build upon. And then another company comes along, and that other company that comes along, they build or lay the foundation. And Paul says that's what his ministry was all about. His ministry was all about laying that foundation. And he recognized the fact that eventually someone else would come along and they would build on the foundation that Paul laid. But now the one who builds on the foundation is probably going to do things a lot differently than the one who laid the foundation, and they're certainly going to do things differently than the one who simply cleared off the land. And so a wise, mature church, when they call a new senior pastor, they fully expect that senior pastor to do different things, and they let that pastor know up front, we will support you. I have told many pastors that I've had over the years, I say, as long as what you want to do, or as long as what you feel led of the Lord to do, is not contrary to what the Bible teaches, I will support what you want to do, whether I personally agree with it or not. And when you can't say that, when you can't do that, that is a sign of spiritual immaturity. That is a sign of spiritual immaturity. Okay, now, let's go on. Um, let's, um, uh, go on to verse 11. It says, For other foundation can no man lay, then that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So you see, ultimately as believers, ultimately as ministers of the gospel, we are building on the foundation established by Jesus Christ. Folks, you don't get no better than Jesus. Uh, I tell you, Jesus was the greatest preacher that ever was. He was the greatest teacher that ever was. He was highly skilled at what he did. And we as believers are to build on that foundation. Now, you know, it's interesting. Jesus told his followers, you guys are going to go on and do far better things and far greater things than what I've done. But your job is to simply build on the foundation that I have laid. You know, um, I know that someday, hopefully, somebody will come along and they will take over the ministry of Sunshine USA. Now, I don't foresee that happening anytime soon. But, you know, right now, being uh, 69 years old, I'll be 70 next summer. I recognize the fact that eventually I'm going to die. Eventually, I'm going to get to the point where I can't do this ministry anymore. And this ministry will have to face the task of selecting someone to succeed me. Now, I guess before that can happen, we've got to get this ministry legally incorporated. We're not really legally incorporated yet. One of the things we need to do is to prayerfully form a board of directors who will make decisions governing this ministry going forward. And then, when the time comes, someone will gracefully take over this ministry. And I would tell them, if I live to see the day that someone else takes over this ministry, I will tell them before I die, now I expect you to go and do far greater things with this ministry than what I've done. But I, I can be like Paul. I can say to the best of my ability, I have laid what I think is a pretty strong foundation. And I fully expect you to build on it. I expect you to go out and do far greater things than I've ever done. Amen. Okay, that's in verse 11. It says, now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, 
precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. That's in verse 13. Now, I have been told that the best way to evaluate the success of a pastor is to take a look at what happens to that pastor when that pastor leaves. If that pastor feels called of God to go and be the pastor of another church, or if that pastor feels led of God to retire, and especially if that pastor dies, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens to that church when that pastor dies. Right now I'm thinking about one church. It was a very big church. It was not in South Carolina, by the way. It was in Tennessee, I believe. Very big church. It would have been, back in its heyday, one of the biggest churches in the state of Mississippi, maybe one of the biggest churches in the country. But the day came when that pastor retired and soon after died. And that church and the Christian school that went with it, it very quickly went down the tubes, and I am told that Christian school no longer exists. You see, now I hate to say it, but that's a reflection on the pastor that founded that church and school. Because if you pastor a church and the church falls apart at the seams when you leave, then you probably didn't do the job that you should have done as pastor of that church. Because had you done your job correctly, that church would still be around. I'm thinking about several churches here in South Carolina that at one time were huge churches. I mean churches that were running, you know, a thousand or more in attendance every Sunday, and now they're lucky if they have 50 or 100 present. Sad but true. Now, a lot of times, what happens to a church after a pastor leaves is very telling about what kind of pastor that pastor was. Now, when a pastor has done the job that he should do, The church, when he leaves, will come even stronger and do greater things with the pastor that succeeds him. Amen. Okay, now let's go on. Verse 14, if any man's work abide, which hath built upon, he shall receive a reward. That's in verse 14. In other words, when the end of life comes and your work is judged, and your work has survived the test of fire, The Bible indicates here that you will receive a reward. But look what happens in the next verse. Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, he shall suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. That's in verse 15. In other words, there are Christians out there today, unfortunately. One of these days, guess what? They're going to die. And oh yeah, they're going to go to heaven. But just barely. They're not going to have any rewards to lay at the feet of Jesus. They're up in heaven and they're They got there by the skin of their teeth, and that's about it. Now, I clearly believe that the Bible teaches us 
that there will be different levels of existence in heaven. You'll have those who just barely make it. They're saved, but just barely. And then you have others who will be very handsomely rewarded for their labor for the Lord down to the years. Just as I believe the Bible also teaches, there will be degrees of punishment in hell. Degrees of punishment in hell. For example, let's say somebody goes to hell and they live in a very remote village in Africa and maybe they never heard the gospel. Maybe they never had a church locate anywhere near where they live. Now, depending on whether or not they became a believer, that will determine whether or not they go to heaven. And if they're not a believer, they will go to hell, no matter what. But now those who, in reality, never really heard the gospel... Their punishment in hell may not be near as severe as someone who goes to hell having had many opportunities to get saved. You see, one of the things that I think will make hell so horrible is that when a person goes to hell, they'll be able to remember every single sermon they ever heard. They'll remember every gospel tract that they threw in the trash can. They'll remember every time they turned the radio on and it was a Christian radio station, they turned it to a secular station. They'll remember all the Sundays that they could have gone to church and didn't. That is part of what will make punishment in hell so severe. And the more opportunities you had to get saved, the more sermons you listen to, the more things of God that you read, the Bible says the harsher your judgment is going to be. Now, by the way, while we're on that thought, understand this. Those of us who teach and preach the gospel will be judged more harshly by God than those who don't. Hardly a day goes by when I don't get a letter or a text message or an email from someone who tells me, Warren, I feel like God is calling me to go into the ministry. Warren, I feel like God is calling me to teach a Sunday school class. Now, of course, I'm very quick to remind them that God is going to hold them accountable for the way that they teach, for the way that they preach. He's going to hold them accountable for their faithfulness or lack thereof. God, in other words, takes his preachers and teachers and he holds them up to a higher standard. And rightfully so. Amen. Okay, now let's, let's go on. Know you not, verse 16, know you not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. That's in verse 16. Now notice this. When you got saved, when you got saved, when I got saved, the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in our heart. The Bible tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now this is a very important biblical principle, recognizing the fact that indeed and in fact, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the temple of the Lord's Holy Spirit. Now, once we understand that principle, then of course we understand that we need to be careful how we treat our bodies. If we understand that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, if we understand that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, we might think twice about some of the things we eat and drink. Now, I've shared on this program many times how it is 
that uh, I have many health issues that are a result of the fact that down through the years I have um, found myself eating things and even drinking things that I shouldn't be consuming. For example, one thing I've had to grapple with here lately is the fact that I drink too much milk. I've never had a problem with alcohol. I've never been tempted to drink alcohol. And I think that is a smart decision for everybody to be a teetotaler. But I have to admit, I drink too much milk. And so, over the past week or so, I have started really bearing down on that problem. Not giving up milk entirely. Right now, for example, I tend to continue to drink milk at breakfast time. But when it comes to lunch and supper, I do not drink milk. I drink water, ice water. And I think over time, this is going to make a difference in how I feel and what my overall spiritual condition is. But I know that I have many health issues today that have been brought on by an improper diet. Now, believe it or not, a lot of this started back in the 1980s when I was a student at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Now, when I was a college student back in the 70s, I had a meal ticket. I lived in the dorm, and I had a meal ticket. And my meals were paid for seven days a week, three times a day. And the school cafeteria served up nutritious meals, balanced meals that were good for me. However, when I got into seminary, that was not the case. When I got to seminary, our seminary at the time had no meal plan. We were expected to be on our own when it came to feeding ourselves. Now, they did have a dining hall where you could pay for individual meals, but they did not have a meal plan. And it was not included in the overall financial aid package. So I had to bear the cost of eating. Sometimes I had enough to eat, sometimes I didn't. I guess more specifically, sometimes I had all I wanted to eat, and sometimes I didn't. I think God always supplied me with at least what I needed. But a lot of times, I did not eat the right things. Now, part of that time, most of that time, in fact, I was working at the campus radio station. And man, I tell you, I worked some crazy hours. Now, our campus radio station, we uh, used volunteer announcers. In other words, our announcers did not get paid. So if I was a DJ 40 hours a week, I didn't get a dime for that. <laughs> kind of like what I'm getting now at Sunshine USA. Silge, nada. And um, usually, if I ate at all, I had to settle for a Coke and a candy bar or maybe a Coke and a chocolate pie or something like that. <clears throat> and that's where I began consuming stuff that were really not good for me. Ultimately, I ended up with a bleeding ulcer, ended up in the hospital with no money and no insurance. Now, fortunately, there was a Methodist church in town. Uh, they, they said, we're going to cover the hospital bill. And that was good because, I mean, the hospital bill, I think, was about $3,000 to $5,000, somewhere in that range. I was in the hospital for about five days. But I ended up with the bleeding ulcer. You see, I was not only eating bad stuff, but I wasn't getting nearly enough sleep. I mean, I was on the go from about five o'clock in the morning till two o'clock the next morning. I got, if I was lucky, three hours of sleep any given night. And over time, that takes its toll on your body. 
And I had a doctor at the time who gave me very sound, practical medical advice. She said, Warren, you need to come to the understanding that even though you are a Christian, you are not Superman. God did not give you Superman's body. You need to eat the right kinds of foods. You need eight hours of sleep a night. And you need to do whatever you need to do to make sure that happens. That was probably some of the best advice a doctor ever gave me. Did I listen to it? Not really. When I got out of the hospital, I continued working marathon hours at the Christian radio station without pay. I continued eating badly. And over a period of many several years, it all took a toll on me. And I ended up in a hospital with a bleeding ulcer. The doctor said I had an amazingly close brush of death. One doctor told me, Warren, if you had gotten to this hospital 10 minutes later than you did, you would probably be arriving here dead on arrival. But even with all of that, did I instantly start eating right? Nah. <laughs> See, down to the years I've had this love affair with fast food. Hamburgers, cheeseburgers, hot dogs, chocolate milkshakes. Now, once in a while, anybody can afford to splurge and eat a little bit of that. But when that is your diet seven days a week, eventually you pay a price for that. Back in 2016, I ended up in the hospital with five bypasses, open heart surgery. And I am told that they had to break open my chest And the doctor had to take my heart out of the chest. Now, of course, for this to happen, I was on a ventilator. And that doctor had to do some things with my heart. And then he had to put the heart back. Now, by the way, in order to get the veins that he needed to do the bypass, they had to take those veins out of my legs. So they not only had to operate, busting my head open, they had to split my leg down the middle and take veins out of there to get the veins that they needed for the heart. That was some of the most serious surgery I've ever had. And I tell you, it was a rough time. To this day, I don't wish open heart surgery on my worst enemy. I'll also be honest with you, I've never really fully, completely recovered from that. I'm still dealing today with Elsa's juice because even after that, I continued eating a lot of stuff that wasn't good for me. And you know why? Because I was stupid. And now I'm honest enough to admit it. And just in the last few weeks, God has revealed to me, Warren, this is one time where you will change your ways or you're going to heaven early. Of course, now sometimes I say, well, now God, you know, going to heaven early is not so bad when I think about how great heaven's going to be, but then I think about what that means. I think about the fact if I died before I needed to die, then a lot of people may not hear the gospel. A lot of Christians may not be taught the Bible. And so just in the past few weeks, God has begun revealing to me how there are things in my life that have to change. God is telling me, Warren, you can have milk once in a while, but not every day, 
not every meal. I like what somebody told me the other day. They said, Warren, you know what? Milk is what makes a cow fat. And what makes you think you're not going to be fat if you drink it? And I'm thinking, yeah, I never thought about it that way. I mean, after all, I've never seen too many skinny cows. Amen. Amen. So there you have it. Okay, now let's move on. It says in verse 17, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself, verse 18, If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. Verse 19, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, and that they are vain. Now, that's in verse 20. <clears throat> One of the things I emphasized, I think, in the last broadcast, is the fact that the preaching of the gospel is to them that perish utter foolishness. You know, when someone says, I feel like God's calling me into the ministry, a lot of times there are people that are going to say, what a waste. Think about all the money you could make if you were not in the ministry. Think about all the prestige you could have if you were not in the ministry. Now, now let me tell you something, folks. I know we have a lot of Young ministers listening to this broadcast. <clears throat> Let me give you some solid advice here. If your goal in life is to make a lot of money, please don't go into ministry. It's not going to happen. I heard a Jewish evangelist one time make this statement. He said, folks, let me tell you something. There is no money to be made in the ministry. Because he said, if there was, there would be more of my people in it. Amen. If God has called you into ministry, you understand you're not going to make as much money as you could in the professional world. It's not going to happen. Furthermore, when you go in the ministry, a lot of people are going to criticize you. They're going to lodge complaint after complaint against you. They're going to fight you every step of the way. These are things you need to think about if God's called you into ministry. If God's called you into ministry, let me tell you something up front. You better have a tough hide. <clears throat> you better have a tough hide. Amen. Then we come to verse 21. Therefore, let no man glory in men. For all are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God. Notice this time, Paul even brings Cephas or Peter into the mix. Now, make no mistake about it, Peter was a great man of God. He, he, he was a God, I mean, he was a man who, who was not all that he should have been at times. We know at one point, Peter denied Jesus three times. We know there were times when Peter had a very impulsive temper. But Peter went on to become one of the great leaders in the first century church. And yet, he had his limitations. When it came to reaching out to the Gentiles, Peter recognized that God had a plan for the Gentiles, that God intended to save the Gentiles, 
But Peter recognized the fact that he was not comfortable preaching and teaching to people outside of the Jewish community. He was much more comfortable ministering to his own kind of people. Paul, on the other hand, went to Arabia for three years following his conversion, and there (coughs) the Lord Jesus Christ himself revealed the deeper things of God to Peter, I mean to Paul. He knew things that Peter had never been told. Peter was an expert on Jewish customs and Jewish law. He was very comfortable ministering to his fellow Jews. He was not very comfortable ministering to Gentiles. That's where Paul came in. So we recognize the fact that Peter was a great man of God, as was Paul, even though Peter and Paul had very different ministries. And Peter recognized that, and Paul recognized that. (coughs) Now those of you that are going into the ministry, let me tell you something very important. You need to be comfortable being yourself. Being the minister that God called you to be. God has not called you to be another Billy Graham or another Charles Stanley or another Chuck Swindoll or another W.A. Criswell. God has called you to be you. Be the minister that God called you to be. That's what you need to do. You need to be the minister that God Almighty called on you to be. Amen. Don't try to be a copycat. Don't try to be somebody else. Be the preacher that God called you to be. Nothing more, nothing less. God hasn't called me to be Billy Graham. I mean, I admire the work that Billy Graham did. I think of all the people that Billy Graham preached to in his lifetime. And I think to myself, if only I could preach to half as many people. I would consider myself very successful. I love the ministry of Chuck Swindoll, Insight for Living. But Chuck Swindoll has a wit that I don't have. He has a teaching style that I don't have. But that's okay because God has not called me to be Chuck Swindoll. God has called me to be the best Warren Landis that I know how to be for his glory. God says, don't worry about what I've called someone else to do. You worry about what I've called you to do. Amen. And then, in the very last verse here, verse 20, he says, and you're Christ, and Christ is, is God's. We belong to Christ. Don't ever forget that. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're God's property. And that's something very important for us to come to grips with. We belong to God. Amen. We should remember the fact that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, you know, a lot of times I meet people, and I've made the same mistake myself, by the way. A lot of times we think to ourselves, well, I'm just a poor, undeserving Christian. I'm just a sinner saved by the grace of God. And basically that's true. I mean, I've made the statement myself many times. I have been saved by the glory of God. Amen. I have been saved by the glory of God. I have been saved by the grace of God. 
But you see, I'm not just a sinner saved by grace. I am God's property. I am a child of the king. And if you're a Christian, so are you. Live accordingly. Amen. Live accordingly. And by golly, that takes us through the third chapter of 1 Corinthians. Next time, we'll begin with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, verse 1. So if you haven't read chapter 4 yet, go ahead and do so. It would not be a bad idea, by the way, to go ahead and read 1 Corinthians chapter 5 as well. And by all means, if you haven't yet read chapter 3 for yourself, go ahead and do so before we get into the next broadcast. Now I can tell you, with God as my witness, I can tell you this is the highlight of my day. I mean, seriously, this is the highlight of my day. When I do what I'm doing right now, I'm doing the main thing that God has put me on this earth to do. And that's why God hasn't been finished with me yet. He still has more people he wants me to preach the gospel to. He still has more people he wants me to teach the Bible to. And I fully intend to do that. And I plan to do that till the day I die. And I hope that you have the same desire. Well, until next time, this is Warren Landis saying God bless you. And I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.